Good morning, everyone. It is the 13th of September. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Asim Kadri and Pella Strataki. It was a more downbeat week for equity markets. There was a slower pace of data releases. The US Fed spoke of a downshifting of growth over the summer due to the spread of the Delta variant of COVID-19. But markets were positively surprised by strong reports on Chinese trade for August. Asim, what would explain the mismatch with expectations here? Hi, Lorna. Yes, that's right. As you mentioned last week, saw an unexpected surge in China's August trade figures, which confounded expectations. Exports rose by 25 0.6% in dollar terms from a year previously to a record $294.3 billion, more than $10 billion above any previous month, whilst imports also rose 33.1% to $236 billion, also the highest ever level. This pickup was despite disruptions at China's second largest port due to fresh virus outbreaks, which resulted in congestion and pushed up shipping costs. Instead, global demand for Chinese goods and services remained resilient, particularly from the US and Europe. So there are likely number of factors that drove the strength, one of them being retailers bringing forward their Christmas shopping orders. Also, new products from Apple probably created demand. And also, Delta various outbreaks in other parts of Asia, namely Southeast Asia, likely resulted in orders being diverted to China. However, looking ahead, expectations are for export growth to cool as COVID cases rise globally and the base effect from last year becomes less favourable. We've spoken recently about how manufacturing data has showed a contraction in new export orders in China, and that could cause a slowdown in the future. Nonetheless, the continued export growth should provide some support to the economy amid a slowdown in in domestic demand. Yes, those were very impressive numbers. And the market seemed encouraged by news of a conference call between President Biden of the US and President Xi of China. It's only the second time they've met, virtually speaking, of course. But what do you think was on the agenda? Yeah, exactly. So last week saw President Biden hold, as you mentioned, just a second call with, with President Xi of China since becoming uh, president last year. Yeah, that was obviously on the back of uh, recent meetings between senior officials of the US and China, which didn't really provide much progress in terms of trade, etc. So during the call, the presidents agreed to manage the growing rivalry between two countries in order to prevent it escalating into a conflict. So apparently there was a pretty candid and in-depth discussion on a wide range of issues, and they agreed to stay step up communications in order to develop US-China relations across a number of areas, including climate change, COVID, and the post-COVID economic recovery. So clearly, this is pretty significant, given, as I mentioned, the two countries have been at odds for a while on a range of issues, such as trade and COVID. So I think, you know, whilst it's difficult to ascertain the specifics of what we discussed, on the whole, clearly the phone call is a positive signal that the US and China could ease tensions and may well be followed by a resumption of trade talks. But again, it's impossible to say that for certain. Nonetheless, a positive step. And could it be a step towards freeing these supply chain bottlenecks that are still being reported in North Asia? Again, difficult to say, but as you mentioned, Asia has had a difficult time in terms of supply chain issues that have built up over the last year. So global demand for all goods ranging from raw materials to semiconductor chips remains well ahead of supply. So these supply chain bottlenecks and labour shortages as well, caused by increasing COVID infection rates this year, are having pretty big impacts both within the region but also more globally. 
So whilst China, on one hand, is the largest exporter of goods in the world, it depends on other Asian economies for input materials. And in particular, Asian countries like Thailand and Indonesia, etc., have a dominance in the electronic space, which means that they have a large impact on the countries like the US and China, which import a significant share of their electronics equipment from these countries. So supply blockages have resulted in delivery times for container ships increasing markedly this year, whilst, as I mentioned, the closure of some ports in China have exacerbated the issue. So I I think it's hard to say what the impact of US-China relations potentially improving may be on these supply issues, but I would say that more likely to result in the situation turning around is these Asian economies picking back up and getting back to normal following COVID. Yes, thank you for that. Looking at Europe now, Pella, and the European Central Bank ratcheted back the pace of its pandemic bond buying programme, known as the PEDP. Would you go so far as to call this tapering? After a two-day meeting of the ECB Governing Council, the European Central Bank said on Thursday it had decided to move to a moderately lower pace in its pandemic emergency purchase program from the 80 billion a month level it has run at since March. Now, ECB President Christine Lagarde was keen to point out that the lady is not tapering and stressed Europe is not out of the woods yet. And indeed, analysts have viewed the ECB decision as being fundamentally different to other central banks' plans to unwind monetary support because the ECB is not looking looking to end its bond buying yet and is only adjusting the pace. European government bonds rallied in price after the announcement. The 10-year German bond yield fell four basis points in afternoon trading to minus 0.37%, and the Italian equivalent was down almost 10 basis points to 0.67%. You talked about the European government bonds there, but there was an unusual situation in the European high-yield corporate bond markets. The so-called real yields, that is the nominal yield on a bond, minus the current rate of inflation, fell below zero. Perhaps you could explain that for us. As you say, Lona, to calculate the real yield of a fixed income investment, you look at the nominal yield and subtract a measure of inflation. Now, the nominal yield on the ICE Bank of America Index of European High Yield Bonds reached a low of 2.34% last week, marking the first time buyers of European high yield bonds have accepted payments below consumer price inflation in the eurozone, a figure which reached a decade high of 3% in August. Now, the first thing to say about this is that it's most likely to be considered a temporary phenomenon, very much worth flagging the ECB's opinion that the current bout of inflation is transitory and their forecasts are falling to one7 next year. But actually, more than that, if you look at inflation expectations currently over the maturity of those bonds, so the five-year tenor, you'll see that already inflation expectations are lower than that CPI print. So if you look at the five-year, five-year euro inflation swap, it's already at 1.7%. So we are not really in negative real yield territory in European high yield, not as of yet anyway. They're very much a temporary phenomenon, it looks like there. But if we look at the week ahead, we have CPI inflation data from a number of regions. Any highlights there, Pella? Well, the first thing to say is that with the Federal Reserve entering its traditional blackout period ahead of the upcoming September policy meeting, the main focus for US investors in the week ahead will very much be on the inflation figures for August. The UK is also due to release what will be closely watched inflation data, along with updates on employment and retail sales. And we've got appearances by European Central Bank officials, which may shed more light on the next steps for the ECB there. And we have industrial production data from the US, Mm -hmm. Europe and Japan. But in China, Asim, industrial production growth is forecast to have slipped back somewhat. Is there the risk of a further upside surprise there, do you think? 
Yeah, so expectations of, as you mentioned, for China's industrial production to show that the economic recovery has continued to face some pretty strong headwinds, which will result in year-on-year growth slowing. So industrial production is expected to have risen by 5.8% year-on-year for August, down from 6.4% in July, really with virus control measures and semiconductor shortages driving this slowdown in growth. Again, difficult to say whether there will be a, you know, a potential upside surprise, but expectations are for certainly for slowdown given and the headwinds we've seen in the Chinese economy over recent months. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thanks, Lorna.